The killing of three unarmed black men by police officers in different U.S. cities ignited the Black Lives Matter movement, and medical students throughout the country showed their support by holding white coat die-ins. But violence is just one contributor to the higher rates of premature death among black men and women in the United States. Disparities in cardiovascular disease, cancer, and HIV are also to blame. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Mary Bassett, Commissioner of the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Dr. Bassett has written a perspective article about reducing racism and racial disparities in medicine. Dr. Bassett, in your article, you mentioned the White Coat Die-Ins organized by medical students in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. What was the reaction of the broader medical community to those student protests? Well, here in New York City, all five area medical schools participated in student-led White Coat Black Lives White Coat Die-Ins, and many of them were joined by faculty members. Of course, in my role as a health commissioner, my perspective is that of a public health physician, and I brought to this conversation the idea that we have to think about health as something more broadly determined than by healthcare services alone. As you note in your article, disparities in a range of chronic health conditions contribute to gaps in life expectancy between black Americans and white Americans. How much do you think those disparities are a result of discrimination in the healthcare system, and to what extent are broader societal problems to blame? Well, the answer to that question is both. And as you know, in the companion piece by Ansel and McDonald, they amplified the conclusions of the 2002 Institute of Medicine report on equal treatment that blacks in particular encounter unequal treatment in the medical care system. But the medical care system only is one contributor, not even the most important contributor to our health. So discrimination can take place at the individual level. It can take place at the institutional level. Residential segregation is an example of discrimination on a broader scale that has huge impacts on health. What role can physicians play in addressing underlying forms of discrimination like that? Well, there are a couple of things that physicians can do, and I really want to commend the New England Journal of Medicine for lending its pages to this conversation, to these two companion articles, mine and that by Ansel and McDonald. The first thing is that we continue to have a respected place in our communities. So lending our voices to these conversations is important. The second is that we can look to ourselves and our own institutions, medical schools, health departments, and look at the role of discrimination and its impact on our workforce. And, of course, we can also use our surveillance and research to try and understand more explicitly the role that racism can play in determining population patterns of health, as well as individual health status. Ansel and McDonald say that although explicit race bias is rare among physicians, tests commonly reveal an unconscious preference for whites as compared with blacks. How can medical schools and healthcare institutions confront that implicit bias? Well, the first step is to recognize it. And I think that the important point that they make is that when we talk about racism and implicit bias is one form of racism at the level of individuals, there are also institutional forms of racism. But the first step is to say that this is not 
like something that's a fault of individuals. These are systems of relationships that are produced and reproduced through time, across institutions and among individuals, and we may not recognize it ourselves. So that we need to take steps to uncover these implicit biases. I talked to some medical students that have at their schools are beginning to introduce courses in which they talk not only about cultural sensitivity, which is recognizing the importance of diversity or celebrating difference, but also talk about the ways in which people stereotype others based on their race classification. And that's part of the whole process of beginning to acknowledge the impact of racism. You cite the statistic that only 4% of U.S. physicians are black. And in fact, the rates of medical school enrollment for black men have actually declined over the past 30 years. What can the medical field do to recruit more minority physicians? I went to medical school in a time when there was broad determination to increase the presence of particularly black and Latino medical students. And lots of different things were done. I think that there's not one single answer to this. It's from starting with high school education programs to supporting students of color with summer programs to working with faculty to help them think through their own potential biases in assessing students. So there are lots of things that can be done, and we know that they work because we did get a great increase in the presence of medical students of color outside of the historically black in medical schools. Before the 1960s, virtually all black physicians in the United States were trained in the historically black medical schools, Meharry and Howard. So there's not a single answer to that question. There are multiple answers to it, but we can be sure that it works, that we can address this really rather shocking state of affairs that was highlighted in particular by Ansel and McDonald. Finally, what role do you think local health departments can play in reducing racial disparities in health, and what steps is your department taking in New York City to address that? That's a really great question, and one of the first things that I did as health commissioner was establish the Center for Health Equity a unit within our department which has a broad goal of both identifying and promoting neighborhood approaches to reducing health disparities. New York City is quite a segregated city, and when we talk about neighborhoods, we are often also identifying communities of color. So we have begun targeting communities' neighborhoods as a unit of intervention in our health department's work building on work that's been done like this for some time, but making it a centerpiece of our work. Additionally, we've looked internally to our own leadership structures and sought to diversify the leadership of the health department and to ensure that our leaders are highly qualified, reflect the values of equity in health, and look like the people who make up this city. Thank you, Dr. Bassett. 